Well, today we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Ruth, and uh, we'll be looking at the extravagant kindness of God from Ruth chapter 2. Well, let's pray together as we come to God's word. Now, Heavenly Father, we want to praise you that you are the God of extravagant kindness and grace. As we consider your word now, help me to preach it faithfully. And we pray that through your word, you would be helping us to see how kind and loving you are, even in the midst of our sufferings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how are we to understand the sovereignty of God? How are we to understand the sovereignty of God? Is God in control of all the details of life? Or does God just allow history to happen? Is he actively involved? How does God's goodness and his sovereignty fit together? How can God turn suffering for good? Now, those are big questions. Those are difficult questions. Uh, those are questions that come up again and again as I read the Bible with people. Uh, they are questions that uh, John Piper spent over 900 pages answering in his recent book entitled Providence. Uh, the difficulty we face in considering God's sovereignty is that it's so multifaceted. On the one hand, we can see God's good hand at work in our lives. Now, when I first started dating my wife, it did feel like a tremendous gift from God. It still does, of course. Uh, I flew over to Malaysia to ask her out, and by coincidence, she just quit her job and had plenty of time to spend while well, talking to me. Uh, she happened to be reading a book entitled Married for God, and for some strange reason, which I'm still yet to understand, she decided not to turn me down when I asked her out. It seemed like it was God's gracious plan, his kindness to me. But of course, there are other times in, in life when things seem so dark and out of control. Right now, we're in this global pandemic, which has caused such global disruption and suffering, deep in poverty. It has left millions dead. We live in a world where there are so often personal tragedies. I recently listened to a podcast where a pastor shared of how his three-year-old son died suddenly and unexpectedly in his sleep. Now, we all experience suffering in one form or another, a broken marriage, a lost job, a bad diagnosis, the death of a loved one. And in those times, we can struggle to understand how a good and kind God could have allowed such things to happen. Well, here the book of Ruth is very helpful for us. And the book of Ruth is a book all about God's providence, how God is at work even in the darkest of situations to bring about his good purposes for his people. You might remember we began last week with the question, where is God in a world of pain? Now, chapter 1 was rather bleak, as tragedy struck in the family of Naomi and Elimelech. They'd planned a temporary trip to Moab to escape a famine, but ten years later, Naomi returned to Bethlehem with no husband and no sons. They were dead. She felt empty, hopeless, and bitter with God. But as we read on in the story, we see that the tragedies of chapter 1 are just the beginning of the story. And even chapter 1 ended with a glimpse of God's loving kindness. It ended with the loving and loyal Ruth at Naomi's side. 
It ended with the famine being over and the barley harvest about to begin. These things hints that Naomi's emptiness may yet be filled by the kind and loving God. And so as we come to chapter 2, the extravagant kindness of God begins to emerge from amidst the blackness of Naomi's suffering. So let's pick up the story in chapter 2 with point 1, a lucky coincidence. A lucky coincidence. And the story takes a turn from the emptiness of chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So enter the rich relative. You know, Boaz is a man who seems to have it all. He's a worthy man. In other words, he's, he's full of standing. He's full of wealth. But more importantly, he's a relative of Elimelech. Could Boaz be the man of fullness who will save Naomi from her emptiness? We'll find out later, but for now, chapter 2, the spotlight falls on Ruth. How does she respond to her situation? Well, she takes advantage of God's gracious provisions in the law. Look at verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So God, in his love, uh, in kindness and love, had laws to provide for poor widows and foreigners like Ruth and Naomi. And look at Leviticus 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so here we see the blessing God brings when his people follow his ways. Ruth and Naomi begin to experience God's kindness as he provides for them through his law and through his people. But at the same time, we see God's sovereign intervention through Boaz. Look at verse 3. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who, by the way, was of the clan of Elimelech. And you can imagine the smile on the writer's faces as he writes these words, because there's, uh, if there's one thing we're meant to understand here, is that, that this was not at all by chance. Of all the fields in the suburbs of Bethlehem, she happens to find herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz just happens to be the relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. But there's more, of course. By another unlikely coincidence, the very day that Ruth turns up in the field, Boaz turns up on the scene. We read on in verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Now, notice the godliness of Boaz. Both he and the reapers acknowledge and trust that any blessing they receive comes from God's provision. But it's almost as if the writer is hinting, isn't it? The Lord bless you. And then we turn and look, and there is Ruth. She is to be the blessing. It could be a scene from a blockbuster movie. Who does this godly Boaz happen to see? But 
So there she is, Ruth, the Moabite, working hard in the fields. And so we get an insight here into God's sovereignty. On the one hand, God is providing for his people through the godly actions of men and women who are following his laws. But on the other hand, God is sovereign. He's working out his plan behind the scenes. And see, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, they are compatible truths. And we see this throughout the Bible. God calls on us to make disciples of all nations. He uses the godly, responsible actions of his people, like inviting our friends along to a Christianity explored, to, to bring people to Christ. But at the same time, God is at work behind the scenes. He's making it all happen. See, God's sovereignty should never be an excuse for laziness. God's sovereignty should encourage us to take action. We work because God is at work. Well, as the story continues then, we see, point two, God's extravagant kindness through Boaz. God's extravagant kindness through Boaz. The author really wants to underline just how unexpected this kindness is. In verse 6, the young men identify Ruth as the Moabitess who came back from Moab, and she's called that throughout this chapter. If you read the book of Judges, you would know that the Moabites were Israel's enemies. Moabites were prohibited from entering the temple. But here is Ruth, the lowliest of the low. She's poor, she's widowed, she's a Moabite. She's a woman. But look at the extravagant kindness of Boaz in verse 8. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. See, Boaz, he calls her his daughter, verse 8. He urges her to stay, verse 8. He promises to provide for her. He'll give her water. He'll protect her. She won't be assaulted. All this for this poor foreign widow. You can understand Ruth Schock's response in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth bows to the ground as if she's received the favour of a king, as if she's received grace. Why me? Well, Boaz explains his actions in verse 11. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz has heard of God's kindness, of Ruth's kindness to Naomi. He's heard of how she left everything to care for her grieving mother-in-law in a certain state of poverty. But verse 12 is the key verse in the whole book. Because here Boaz rightly recognizes Ruth didn't just show kindness to Naomi. 
Ruth committed herself to the Lord. Remember, she said, your God will be my God. And when she did, like a little chicken, she hid herself safely under God's loving wings. She took refuge. See, Boaz recognises that Ruth's trust in the Lord will be fully rewarded. Having taken refuge in the God of Israel, she will experience God's kindness for herself. It's a marvellous truth, isn't it? God is rich in kindness to all who will trust in him, no matter what race, no matter what gender, no matter what social status. Anyone who will make God their God and take refuge in him, God will lavish upon them his kindness and his blessing. And in what follows, we will see that, that it is Boaz himself who becomes the agent of God's extravagant kindness to Ruth and Naomi. Now, Boaz's kindness here, it goes far beyond mere duty uh, in obeying God's law. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat with the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied. She, she had some left over. As Boaz, he singles out Ruth. He feeds her until she's stuffed full. It's as if uh, Boaz takes her out to one of those all-you-can-eat buffets, just puts plate after plate in front of her. But he's still not finished yet. He, he wants to make sure she's got food to take home as well. Verse 15, we read, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her. Leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Usually only the leftovers were left behind for the poor. But Boaz orders his men to deliberately drop grain for her to pick up and turn a blind eye when she does. The result, verse 17, at the end of the day, she has gathered one effort of barley. That's an enormous amount. And after just one day at work, Ruth and Naomi moved from poverty to abundance thanks to the extravagant kindness of Boaz. Well, as the author has already alerted us in verse 4, we're meant to see here that behind the extravagant kindness of Boaz is in fact the extravagant kindness of God. Behind the extravagant kindness of Boaz is the extravagant kindness of God. Now, as we come to the end of the chapter, uh, we see that that, that kindness is it's not only for Ruth, but it's for Naomi as well. In chapter 1, Naomi returned to the God of kindness. She returned to the land of blessing. That idea of, of returning elsewhere, translated repenting, it's a key concept in chapter 1. Naomi returns. And here we see those who return to the Lord experience the extravagant kindness of God. And as Ruth returns home in abundance, Naomi starts to see and realise that God has not stopped being kind to her as well. As Ruth brings out her gleanings and her leftover lunch in verse 18, verse 19, uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi is visibly shocked. She's, this is totally unexpected. And Ruth says to Naomi, verse 19, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, slightly unclear what that verse means in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Is it talking about Boaz's kindness? Is it talking about the Lord's kindness? Of course, it's both. It's the Lord's kindness through Boaz. And what a change in Naomi. Last time we saw her, she was bitter and angry with God. Now she is praising God that he's never stopped showing kindness to the living or the dead. For Boaz, he's not just a close relative. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's one appointed in God's law with the responsibility of saving his relatives. And we'll see what that means next week. And so Naomi begins to realize, even though she's faced this terrible disaster, her husband and her two sons dead, the Lord has not stopped showing kindness to her. Behind the extravagant kindness of Boaz is the extravagant kindness of God. And so we learn in Ruth chapter 2 that God is no spectator in our world. Both the seeming chaos of the world and the strange coincidence are both the work of the almighty loving God. God has everything in his hands, whether it's COVID-19, the train crash in Taiwan, whether it's the death of Naomi's family. Even in the midst of tragedy, God is still at work in kindness for his people. And we begin to see here, it was not just all bitterness for Naomi, just as it was not all bitterness for Job or for Jesus. With time, with waiting, God's good and kind purposes begin to emerge from suffering. So here is the challenge. And when we face suffering, of course, it's all consuming. It's hard to see anything but those dark storm clouds right in front of our eyes. We find it impossible to imagine that it may ever get better or that those deep disasters could somehow be used by God for good. But here we're reminded it is crucial when bad times come to wait on God, to seek a bigger perspective, to remember that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And Ruth too gives us some indication of, of how God shows his kindness. On the one hand, God's kindness shines through his laws, which he commands for our good. But God's kindness shines most clearly through God's righteous redeemer, Boaz. Boaz, whose, whose kindness goes beyond mere obligation. Boaz, who is full of extravagant and gracious Love. Boaz, who we'll see next week, is willing to go to any length to help Ruth and Naomi. And God's kindness through his righteous redeemer, Boaz, anticipates and foreshadows the greatest expression of God's kindness to us.
through our righteous Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to point three, the extravagant kindness of God in Christ. The extravagant kindness of God in Christ. In Ephesians 2, we see that our situation was far worse than that of Ruth and Naomi. Verse 1, we're told we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. See, we were dead in our sins. We had no relationship with God. Like Elimelech, we'd, we, we've all walked away from God. We rejected God's righteous rule to follow the world, to follow our own sinful desires instead. We came under the judgment of God. Verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And yet despite all that we've done and all that we deserve, God has shown his extravagant kindness to us. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In his love and mercy, God intervened in our desperate situation. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to die on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. He turned aside God's wrath. And then God raised him to life so that we too may be raised with him to eternal life. And we're told that God did all of this, verse 7, so that for all eternity he might display to the universe the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When, whenever we're going through a tough time, whenever we're tempted to doubt God's kindness and love to us, we can look at the cross and see there the immeasurable kindness and grace that God has shown to sinners like you and me. Well, how should we respond to God's extravagant kindness in Christ? How should we respond to God's extravagant kindness in Christ? Well, I think the first thing is that we are to recognize God's kindness in all of life. When things are going well, it's so easy to fail to thank God for his kindness. When things are going bad, it's easy to think that God's not in control and doubt his love towards us. But we see in our passage today that God is sovereign in both the good and the bad. And so when things are good, don't forget to thank God. And when life is hard, learn to trust that God is still working out his kind purposes for you. God never abandoned Ruth and Naomi in their sufferings. And God will not abandon us in ours either. God gave his son that we might be forgiven, restored and assured of an eternity with him. As we look at the cross, we realize even in the greatest of tragedies, God continues to work out his loving plan for his people. One day, those sufferings will end when Jesus returns. So that's the first point. Recognize God's kindness. Secondly, take refuge under his wings. Now, Richard teaches us that God's kindness is for those who leave their old life and return to him. 
for those who will take refuge under his wings. Now, that's what Ruth does. She turns to God in faith. She, she hides under God's shelter and she experiences God's kindness and salvation for herself. And there are so many things we can seek refuge in this world. We seek refuge in money, in relationships, career, success. But ultimately, all those things will be shown to be false supports. The only true place of refuge, of salvation, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should flee to him. He is the one who will provide to protect, to save. If you've not already, put your faith in him. Trust him as your saviour. And if you have, continue to, to place yourself under his loving wings. Come what may in this troubled life. Remember his God's kindness. Take refuge under his wings. And finally, emulate his character. If we really understand the kindness of God in Christ, it will change us. Ruth and Boaz are examples of that. In a time of such wickedness in Israel, Ruth is full of self-sacrificial kindness towards Naomi. And Boaz is full of extravagant kindness and generosity towards Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz become like the God that they serve, full of kindness and steadfast love. It's worth asking, what does your life say about your God? Does your life reflect the extravagant kindness of God you have received? Is God's kindness shown in your thankful speech, in your grace-filled actions, in your joy, and in your trust in times of trouble? If you've experienced the extravagant kindness of God, will you emulate it in how you show treat others? How are we to understand the sovereignty of God? Now today we've been reminded that God is sovereign in all things, the good and the bad. Today we've been reminded that he is the God who can turn evil to serve his good purposes. That We've seen today that suffering is not the end of the story. God is the God of extravagant kindness, who showers his kindness on all who will turn to him in faith and in trust come under the refuge of his wings. Will you do that? Will you take refuge under the wings of the kind and loving God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your kindness and love to us in the Lord Jesus, that we had walked away from you, that we do not deserve your love, Thank you that you sent Jesus to save us, to make us your very own, to give us eternal life. Thank you for your grace. And we thank you that in your grace you have not only saved us, but in every part of life, through the good and the bad, you are at work for good in our lives. So Lord, help us to continue to trust you. Help us to continue to take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Come what may. Help us to see your goodness shine through, even when we face terrible suffering and tragedy, 
in this life. For we know that you are the God of love, because you have shown it so clearly at the cross in the death of your Son. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.